conflicts and interests with Eric Kahn and Mike Montague. Arif, we just had a provincial election, in case you didn't know. You had the unique position of being the commentator for Rogers, covering this election as the numbers were coming in. How was that for you? Well, as always, it's a fascinating experience, uh, and, and it is great to be in the thick of things. It's it's funny though, Mike, because you pose it almost as a as a question. We just had a, a provincial election, in case you didn't know, and when you look at the actual uh, turnout, and it was a lackluster campaign, to be fair, but it's certainly lackluster didn't enter into the election night as it unfolded. If you only paid attention to the media and social media you would think this guy is going to end up, he's going to lose his own seat, he's not going to be the premier, and he's his party's going to lose official status. Like if you actually watched the coverage, you know, if all you did was pay attention to the people who were projecting their anger and frustration, et cetera, et cetera, you'd think that this guy was done. Yeah. And in fact, the results are anything but. The facts are not only did he re- retain his own seat, they retained government, and they actually grew into supermajority territory. Well, for sure. And I think the real world is a far separate and far greater entity than the social media rhetoric that we see and we watch. If and, and that's the thing. I mean, you look at you look at the results, and I don't know if it was 40 or 42% of the vote is what the PCs got. Uh, and so, of course, out comes the genius with the, with the uh, graphic and the stat that basically said, so if you took the liberals and the NDPs and combined them, then, uh, you know, there's 60%. So obviously we have a premier who doesn't represent the people. I'm like, are you kidding me? Is that really the way That's you're going to pretend your math what works? the democratic system our founding fathers put together was supposed to represent. Yeah, but of course they're wrong, right? So um, no, Well, yeah, you can, you know, add a whole bunch of things together and they'll equal or, or exceed something else, but that's not, that well, math is useless. The current spin is this, Mike. Yeah. We have the lowest turnout in history or, or perhaps, mm-hmm. oh, it's because suddenly everybody thinks that their vote didn't matter. Really? No. You think your vote didn't matter? No, I'm sorry. If you take all the people who were so apathetic or lazy or tuned out or checked out and thought your vote didn't matter and you all showed up and you all voted, then maybe you have a stake. You have a a say. But right now you're you're an audience member. Everybody else decided to vote. You chose not to. So for the next four years, sit there quietly because you chose not to do your part. You chose not to take your civic duty and you chose to thumb your nose at your own personal responsibility yeah. for having a voice. You chose not to have a voice. Not you didn't have a no, voice. You chose every, not to everybody, have Everybody, regardless of their stripe, has equal opportunity to cast their ballot. And I think it's two things. Okay. I think it's uh, a combination of just the, the full-on support and confidence for the current government. And I think a lot of conservative supporters just, I mean, it wasn't a loud, boisterous campaign. It kind of happened in the background. A lot of other things were happening simultaneously to it. And I think just some of those people just didn't get out to vote. They were confident in who the leader was. I think if they were frustrated, a lot of people get out to vote for change. But I think a bigger part of what was going on, look at Trudeau's numbers nationally. A lot of people who voted for Justin Trudeau just a year ago are probably stepping back, and they're disillusioned with that. Well, there you go. There's the answer right there. So they didn't know what to do. They thought, I'm not excited about my liberal government right now. I'm just going to stay home. There is an entire group of people. By the way, watch what happened in the numbers. 
Mm-hmm. The numbers reflect that people who used to vote NDP actually voted PC, yeah. which is effectively unheard of. No, it usually goes to the, from NDP to liberal. And voting numbers, they're down, like a lot of the stats are showing, we're down from like 10 years ago, 20 years ago, the percentage of people that mm-hmm. used to vote provincially. The Elections Canada need to look at that and what are they doing and how do we get more people? I think our schools need to do more to get people excited about politics. But uh, yeah, so well, they've increased their number of seats and that's a rare thing for a party to see their numbers go up in the second term. I don't believe for a second that suddenly the majority of Ontarians are are, are conservatives. No, They're I not. Think, I think there were more people who abstained from voting who are on the left than there are those who may have switched to the right. But at the same time, we I mean, the conservatives gained 16 seats. The liberals gained just one and the NDP, NDP lost seven. And it, it wasn't Bay Street that elected Doug Ford. It was blue-collar Ontario. I mean, Ford has increased the confidence in the party with the working class over the past four years. He, he received endorsements from a number of unions when historically that's the Liberals who, who tend to get the union votes. And the PC received a lion's share of the backing from unions this time around. That's unheard of, I think, in Ontario. He started out four years ago kind of following the, the, the old-school PC template of government, but at least in the last couple of years, or specifically, or more in the last year even, he, he began, you could see him carving out his own path. And in, in doing so, he's, he's rebranding the party to an extent that uh, is obviously bringing election results. It's working for him and it's working for the party. And we've got that shift going to the right in Ontario. Well, here's the other thing that happened, Mike. Nobody, first of all, anybody who knows Andrea Horvath knows that she's just decided to present herself as a completely unlikable character, a complainer, uh, somebody who doesn't actually put forward a healthy alternative. She stuck around far longer than she should have. She did. So here's what happened. Anybody who knows, Andrea Horvath has made sure that anybody knows her essentially essentially equates her name with negativity and and pessimism. Mm -hmm. Nobody really knows who Del Duca is. And I did because I was paying attention, but I don't think Ontarians got to know Stephen Del Duca. No. He didn't. And and what they did get to know, they didn't really like. Yeah. But collectively, everybody was talking about Ford. And the, the age-old <clears throat> saying is, any press is good press. Like him or hate him, nobody yeah. knew Del Duca, <clears throat> nobody liked Horvath, and everybody knew Ford's name. Well, just by default, being, being the premier this time around in this race, he was getting more attention. If anything, he was less visible over the course of the campaign than he typically has been through through COVID, and that may be by design. Well, of um, course, they're 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 uh, criticizing him for that. They're saying, "Oh, you know, we we all put out our platforms, and you didn't say anything. You guys re- stayed relatively quiet." Yes, sure. So here's the flip side Was to that, that argument. The flip side of that argument is he stayed quiet and let the others make mistakes. Well, that's it. Just step back and, and let them beat each other up. I mean, It's called an unforced error. If you were hosting live coverage of the election results for your community TV station, could you pick a better place to be located than right here within the Barrie region? Because the closest race uh, out of, what, 100-and-something ridings in all of Ontario was the Barry Spring Motor Oral Madani race between Doug Downey and Jeff Lehman, where Doug was able to hold on to his seat by just 296 votes. And I think for, at various times, for nail-biting lengths of time, they were like two votes apart. 
as we were watching those numbers come in? Yeah, there were, first of all, I, I think, uh, if I'm not mistaken, after the mail-in ballots were counted, it was about a 600-vote separation. There was. Okay. How, however, you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, first and foremost, you've got, uh, you've got the second most powerful person by... Uh, portfolio yeah, in Attorney government General of Ontario. as the incumbent yeah. attorney general, but the incumbent member of provincial parliament mm-hmm. in a nail biter, a neck and neck race right from the get go. Yeah, uh, this isn't a surprise. This wasn't sort of nobody got caught off guard. You've no. got an exceptionally popular mayor. Well, um, he's no slouch, and he's no you slouch. Know, he's got a portfolio too. I mean, Lumco. The, he's what, been on the scene for sixteen yeah. years, three terms as a mayor, and yeah, you're right. He's the chair of the large urban mayors caucus of Ontario, which is a profile uh, yeah. position. He earned the the confidence of his peers of the municipalities that have a population base of over 100,000. And he's the chair of that organization when they go to lobby the provincial counterparts or the federal counterparts. So he's earned a profile. Mm -hmm. So you're absolutely right. So a popular mayor, three-term mayor, had at one point, I don't think this time around, but a 96% win rate uh, in his last election, if it wasn't that or the one before. But anyway, regardless, 96%. And ran in a Incredible campaign. Yeah. The tightness of that race was not necessarily a reflection of anything Doug did wrong. It was he had a strong opponent, perhaps one of the strongest opponents of any incumbent uh, in the province uh, that night or through that campaign. Uh, I wouldn't want to go up against Jeff Lehman. Uh, I don't know that anybody who does or has running for mayor is doing so with a very realistic hope of. Uh, you know, persevering. Through so that Jeff race. Lehman had uh, had certainly a riding to win that w- one would refer to as a targeted riding. It's a riding yeah. that uh, the Liberal camp definitely wanted to mm-hmm. win. And why? Because it is winnable. Mm-hmm. Now it's winnable. Why? Because well, we've had Eileen Carroll here. We've had there, a few, yeah. a couple it's of gone both ways. Yeah. Yeah. Past. Exactly. We've had a couple of Liberal. Uh, um, successful liberal and yeah and I think even previously but what's the point it is winnable it has traditionally been a sea of blue up here but not always no no right right so it is winnable Doug Downey's done a phenomenal job Mm -hmm. as a human being he was a great city councilor a very well respected lawyer and did what something that nobody's done before as the attorney general I mean our legal system has been antiquated. It's been brought into the 21st century for sure. Yeah. And he did something that the yeah. previous government that had 16 years in power wasn't able to do mm-hmm. or chose to not focus on doing. Yeah. It wasn't a priority it's for It's a work them. in progress, but it's Handed a pandemic yeah, and in his first year or second, beginning of the second year, whatever you want to call it. Uh, yeah, I mean, modernize the entire electoral, uh, sorry, the entire yeah. court system and, and a- access to court services. And you and I, as hosts of Hitting Home with Mike and Arif on Rogers TV, if I might throw in a blatant plug there. That was um, very blatant, yeah. Yeah, we've, you know, we've had the privilege of having both Mayor Jeff Lehman and Attorney General uh, Doug Downey as, as repeat guests on the show. And they some of our better shows. Both very personable, both yeah. very uh, likable, excellent speakers. I would say, uh, you know, no offense to Doug Downey, but... Uh, I would say that 
Jeff Lehman has that natural ability to speak. Doug's a great speaker, and he's very relatable. He's a great guy to speak with, easy, yeah. easy to speak with. Jeff's a presenter, oh, and yeah. I think that there's a difference. Yeah. And I think that that carried weight yeah. uh, in, in Jeff's performance. Didn't hurt that Jeff had the leader of the uh, Liberal Party come up a few times uh, just to you know throw some additional support behind him. I don't think Del Duca knew he was in as much trouble as he ended up being in. No, uh, but definitely, Maybe perhaps Jeff should have been going down to his right well, a few I, times during that campaign. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. But I don't think, and I don't think he's done. I, I don't think Jeff's days are over. No, I think he's got a great he, career ahead of I him. I think so. And and it was interesting as the numbers were coming in, uh, still coming in. We had already learned that Del Duca was stepping aside. So, you know, Jeff and Doug are two votes a point apart, and I, I couldn't help thinking, okay, if uh, if Jeff does win this, my guess is when he wakes up tomorrow morning, there's going to be uh, a note pinned to his door asking him to step up as the uh, the new interim leader of the party. Yeah. Uh, so or what's left of the party at this point, but. Uh, um, so perhaps it's a blessing in disguise that he fell short as he did, because I think it's going to be at least one, maybe two terms before that party can get its act together. And that's unfortunate because that's a party that has had strength just within the last decade even. I'm going to push um, your buttons a little sure. bit here, and I'm going to suggest to you that uh, both Andrea Horvath and Stephen Del Duca checked out long before they gave their uh, announcement to resign as leader and Stephen lost One more to roll see of the dice basically they, yeah. they were gone weeks ago and why I say that is less than two weeks into the actual official election insiders revealed that the NDP and liberals decided that if they if neither one of them won they would form a coalition government exactly the same as the liberal uh, as the did. federal uh, liberals yeah. and NDP did. And that is a statement to your party base, to your electorate, two weeks in That's that you've week. already decided you're yeah. not going to win. It's yeah. or There is a plan B. There's a plan mm-hmm. C. You've mm-hmm. already decided you know you're not yeah. good enough to win. They checked out before. There's another reason why there's low voter turnout. Do you think, though, that the, the narrow win for Doug Downey threatens or challenges his position as the attorney general? Not at all. No. I, don't think so. I think he has the confidence of the premier. I do think that there will be a few people whose portfolios change. I can't think of anybody inside that camp, though, that has more, has proven well, themselves it was, more. It was Carolyn Mulrooney, was it not? I do believe so. She's yeah. now transportation, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. But right. nobody has proven themselves more effective. And he stepped up just barely one year into his own portfolio in an antiquated system that was antiquated certainly for decades, but certainly the, 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 the party in power for the previous 16 years didn't bother to do anything to modernize well, it. Well, and that's a bold move to do so because people get used to status quo regardless of how poorly it's functioning. And this AG, a rookie AG mm-hmm. and a rookie, a rookie provincial politician stepped up to the plate looked out there and said, what's possible, let's make it happen, was also handcuffed by a whole bunch of protocols from a safety and health perspective around, um, you know, uh, COVID-related 
protocols that, that you've got judges and juries and reporters and clerks and staff and prison guards, etc., who need to be mindful of their own health and, and from spreading the contagious virus that was out there, etc. Mm-hmm. And he went and he embraced technology. And now let's be fair. Never before did we have access to technology like Zoom the way we do. We had Skype. Yeah. And if you want to talk about a company that dropped the ball, (laughs) Skype should have owned the market. But Zoom came in and took over. Within three months, they had the system up and running. Now, in fairness, they did it based on a priority. You've got prisoners in the prison system in a backlog. They are duty-bound. They are required to provide them access to a timely trial. As with everything, the AG didn't create the pandemic and he didn't create the failed system. He's throwing every single resource he's got at it to move the system forward. Going back to the original question, his position as attorney general is most likely safe. It won't be without its bumps and challenges going forward as it should be. I believe he's going to double down and I believe that he's got the confidence of his party to do so. Before Doug Ford... We had a decade of liberal rule in Ontario between Kathleen Wynne and Dalton McGuinty. 16 years. Yeah, 16 years. Almost two decades. Yeah, wow. So back when I was a kid, the Conservative Party in Ontario, it was big, and it was for decades. Uh, I remember, you know, I was just a kid, but, you know, Premier Miller, uh, Premier Bill Davis. These were icons, political icons in Ontario. Do you think under Ford... Ontario is becoming that big blue machine again as it was then. And do, do you think we're seeing that with Doug Ford? Is that possible? I'm not saying it is. Somebody it probable, like Bill Davis doesn't come around twice in a lifetime. No, for sure. I don't think that Ford and Davis share yeah. exactly the same ideals or charisma or yeah. I don't know that we loyalty. we live in the same world today as we did then where that's even possible to to have that level of an icon, as I call it. But, uh, but Ford seems to be striking a balance between investment spending and at the same time cleaning up waste and bad spending. And that's precisely what voters of any stripe want from government. But it's rarely that we get that. And certainly something we didn't see for at least the past, as you say, 16 years uh, before he took power. Him well, Mike, that, Mike, yeah. I, I, I'll tell you, Perhaps it's unfair to compare Doug Ford to Bill Davis. Uh, you know, perhaps Doug Ford will just be compared to Doug Ford. Yeah. You know, um, again, uh, you don't have to love the guy to no. see what he's doing. There's nothing sugar-coated. No. Um, <laughs> you know, you might compare him to a local city councilor up here in Barrie who uh, you know, spends a little bit less time focusing on the protocol and, and the code of conduct and what is the accepted norm and just goes out and does it because he believes in it no. and says, I'll ask for forgiveness later. Yeah, but I, I, th- I think he started out that way. Another thing we saw from Doug Ford that is rare in politics is an admission of getting some things wrong regarding the pandemic and providing a straight-up apology from him for it. They, I mean, he made some tough calls on school closings and on isolation orders and mask legislation that carried on for too long and, you know, right into the two-year mark. And he recognized this in the past few months. He did the wrong thing for the right reasons. Yeah, and but he's... You know, he's changed his course of action. We've seen that drastically in the past couple months. And he's 
managed to work well with the federal liberal government through the pandemic. And he has worked well with the feds on child care programs, the automobile industry investments and infrastructure funding in Ontario. Like that's combined, that, that's billions and billions of dollars coming to the province from the feds. And there was an unusual absence of rhetoric coming from the Trudeau government during the campaign uh, against Ford or the PC candidates. And I think this was be by design. I think Trudeau... I think you're 100% correct. Yeah, in that. Trudeau recognizes as much as he wants to take back and needs the Ontario for to, to win federally, he knows that by crapping all over Doug Ford and the PCs in Ontario right at this moment, that's not going to score him favor. So the people who crapped all over Doug Ford are liberals and NDPs themselves, but yeah. less than them, or excuse me, less them than those who broke off and created these splinter associations with the New Blue and the Ontario the far, far Party. Right. The far, far right. Yeah. They're the ones who tried to label Doug Ford as just another Trudeau. What does that tell you? It tells me that these are guys who don't get it. No, they don't. They, they don't get it because, I'm sorry, the electorate, Canadians aren't interested yeah. in your juvenile spats. It's, yeah, it's they not, want effective government. And Ontarians wanted... do not you know, create good government. And, it, and logical yeah. and intelligent Ontarians want a premier mm -hmm. who will work with the prime minister and other premiers, yeah. regardless of partisan stripe. And, and so for Doug Ford to spend his entire four years giving the bird to the prime minister, what would that have done for Ontario? It, it would have just it, isolated it Ontario. And, and You'd have guys going down on a ship full of holes going, yeah, but at least we strayed to, to stay true to well, our values. But, well, that's, that's kind of, there's that mindset out there too. But I mean, the cooperation between Queens Park and Ottawa that we never saw that when we had a conservative federal government and a liberal provincial government under Wynne and McGinty. I mean, Ford understands the importance of cooperation between the two levels of government. As and that doesn't make him a liberal. It makes him someone yeah. who is willing to collaborate. Listen, this guy's in power for the next four years. Yeah. I better I better figure out how to work with and, him. And Trudeau could not be an easier target right now, but, you know, he's biting his tongue for it is. And uh, at at the and, same and time, Trudeau bit his tongue, as you said, in in this in this election. He didn't get yeah. out there and and lobby for uh, Del Duca. Yeah, D despite any of the election rhetoric from the Liberals and the NDP candidates that we saw, um, and as well from you know those online, the you know the naysayers and. Uh, who basically all they had to really say about uh, Doug Ford in the negative was just name calling. Uh, nobody could really cite too many examples of, of poor leadership in the, the past four years. But uh, job numbers are up in Ontario. Inflation is a reality, but most understand that the causes of rising costs lay beyond the provincial government for the most part. I mean, the election results clearly show Ontario residents uh, are content with the PC government. And I think we have given Ford a passing grade on handling the pandemic. I don't think there are too many, if any, leaders who in hindsight didn't have some screw-ups or miscalculations along the way. But again, he is the only leader 
who is owning up to the the fact that, yeah, we didn't do this perfectly, but we did the best we could with what we had. And if we had to, to do it over again, there's probably some things we would do differently. Well, I mean, that that is a, a huge question. Uh, that is... There are a lot of things that people would do differently. And I asked an interesting question during the commentary with, with my colleagues there. And, and I said, you know, name me one leader that would have signed up to be premier or prime minister had they known that they were walking into a pandemic. I recall you asking that because I was and, watching that night. And, and I think my colleagues rightly pointed out, even though I still hold to my statement. And I'll, I personally still don't believe anybody would volunteer to put themselves in a position where there's no precedent for the way they handle yeah. it. The economy, you've also got supply chain issues. You've got all sorts of things. Yeah. Yet those who will look for any and every opportunity to criticize, mm have done so. And in Ontario, they've done it against Ford. And in Alberta, they did it against Kenny. And it doesn't matter. And when it mattered most was the other night during the election where it really counts and the people have spoken. Exactly. So my colleagues, though, rightly said, Mm -hmm. well, a true leader would run right into that fire and say, I'm your guy, I'm your girl. that was the analogy I was going to make because, you know, they'd like running into a fire. There's no middle ground there. You're either going to come out a total hero or you're not going to come out at all. (laughs) <laughs> you're going you're gonna to crash and burn in the middle of the fire. So there's some and there's very few who would have the confidence to think, I'm going to be the hero in this scenario. I think there's a difference between knowing yourself that you have the charisma yeah. to lead and that you're the right candidate. Yeah. That's not necessarily the same as, well, if I was to pick when I want to be premier, I would create yeah. an environment where everything could possibly, everything that could go wrong will go wrong, and, and that's what I'd sign yeah. up for. Me- so I think, that there's, I think that there's an argument for both, but they're not the same yeah. side. They're not two sides of the same yeah. argument. But let, let me take that and put a twist on it. I'd love to believe, and I think most of us would like to believe, that there are candidates who would come forward who would be those with whatever that is that, that it takes to willingly step up. And those are the same people who, as citizens, will show up for search and rescue, as citizens will show up to donate blood and platelets, as citizens showed up in uh, after 9-11 yeah. occurred. Yeah. Those are those people. And that's for an event Mm-hmm. And in, in an isolated or, you know, that yeah. takes compassion, that takes empathy, and that also takes yeah. every ounce of your energy and, yeah. and you know, and, exhausts and, it. Yeah, I'd just like to say as well, like, we seem like we're tooting Doug Ford's uh, horn here. And and uh, in the beginning, I didn't like the controversy, controversy that led to his nomination for leadership of the party. And I had a hard time allowing myself to differentiate between him and his brother, Rob Ford, and the two of them and their antics as municipal politicians. Uh, I had absolutely no use for Doug Ford in the beginning, and I think many didn't, but I have to say the man has proven himself. And I don't know, is he a different man now than he was when he first stepped in? Or has he just been, we're, it's taken us time to see it. I don't know. 98.1% of the population is employed by a working eligible working population is employed by small and medium-sized business yeah it's a high number yet yet it was 
big business that was favored in terms of limited restrictions versus the restrictions and the forced closures upon the small business community. And and yet he was still reelected. So yeah. now is that where he apologized? Or is that where he's going to learn from his mistakes and say, okay, we got to figure out a system? Did he just get reelected, which is a second chance, a chance to make things right? Well, this will be a tougher go than the previous four years because he will be scrutinized uh, to a greater degree in the second term, as most politicians are. He's made a lot of claims and, and promises during the campaign and that people are going to you know, he's going to hold, they're going to hold him to it. So he's going to have to follow through. But I think the thing that's going to be on the minds of people is going to be housing and it's going to be fuel and, and, and inflation. And what is he going to do about that? Schools, hospitals, all all of the above, all of the typical stuff where there's challenges. Oh, there's no more excuse. I mean, if we go into another pandemic, I mean, he has to have invested in ventilation systems he has to invest it in 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 procedures Mm -hmm. we cannot continue uh into the next four years the way we handled the first four years the first four years was you know oh shit oh shit we better figure this out the next four years are what did we learn and how would we do things differently and buy the supplies now yeah there there's no leeway there this second time around Uh, what if i get just kind of sum him up in, in one word, and I'll take us to a, a whole other place here, is a, and that would be pragmatic. He's a pragmatic politician. And if we look to the federal conservative leadership race uh, and that front runner there, Pierre Polyev, Polyev, I got his name right, I always mispronounce. Polyev. Polyev. Polyev, Polyev. He's, I don't see Pierre Polyev as having that same pragmatism as Doug Ford. He plays to and appeals to the far right of the conservative base with his attack style and over-the-top promises. He just said last week that he wants to do away with all vaccine mandates in the country. Not just COVID, but all vaccines altogether. The vaccines that, you know, traditionally children get in their first few years of school or as babies, he's going to make them all uh, voluntary as opposed to mandatory. Firstly, just like his announcements that he would fire the head of the Bank of Canada about a month ago, he, he, do, he won't have the authority to do that. But that's the kind of a drama that appeals to the old guard, far right of the Conservative Party members. And, and that's what he keeps playing to. And this is his race to lose. And all indications are that he's out front right now. But comments like the one on vaccine that he made uh, the other day, that's going to hurt more than help his chances, I think. And not to mention his suggestion that, you know, that it's just deceptive, that the, the claim on vaccines. He, he's trying to score favor with anti-vaxxers, just as he tried to do with the Ottawa protesters. And he's counting on them being ignorant enough not to realize there is no way in hell that he can do what he suggested. I've lost faith in him. I mean, he, I like the guy as a gutsy feisty, feet-to-the-fire opposition finance critic, but I don't think he has the gravitas to be trusted. I will be the first person to admit, man, I look forward to uh, his videos that he would post or that, you know, the clips on, what's it called, CPAC or or YouTube, et cetera, mm-hmm. of him, you know, roasting uh, the, the prime minister or Christopher Freeland, you know, the finance yeah. minister, et cetera. 
I, I looked at him a year or so ago, and I was like, man, there's a guy you want on your well, team. We, we, he's we, a articulate. He did his homework. He did his research. And, man, he's having fun. And, mm-hmm. boy, I wouldn't want to go up against him. And, and, and all, so all the good things that I could think of, I absolutely admit to having said that. I absolutely admit to having looked forward to the next two, three-minute clip that I could that would come out in a day or a mm-hmm. week, et cetera. He's not electable. No. As a prime as a prime minister, not as a prime Canadians minister. will not vote for him. No. Canadians on whole. No. Who does the Conservative Party of Canada need as their leader? They need to not only cater to the votes that they already have, but they have to convert. Yeah. Those who are undecided, they have to convert those who are Barely left of center hanging mm. on, but, you know, who maybe have lost faith in the prime minister themselves, etc. The goal of, of, of the candidates who are running, whether it's Lesson Lewis, Scott Atchison, yeah. uh, Jean Charest, uh, uh, Roman Patrick Baber, yeah. Patrick Brown, and Pierre Polyever, those six candidates, their job is not to win yeah. the leadership. Their job is to They're become the prime minister. And, I'm, and unfortunately, I don't know that... Uh, Pierre Polovich should be taking lessons, and I don't know if he will, from Doug Ford. This Doug is Ford a dangerous thing to, to say, Yeah. but the last people you need to be listening to are your party faithful, because your party faithful are going to be your party faithful. Well, they'll always be there. Theoretically. Yeah, I mean, they, there's the new blue again, like and it's it whatever. when you stir the pot and rock the boat. But Patrick Brown, on the other hand, he has that pra- pragmatism, and he's he has that same appeal that won Doug Ford seats, and... I mean, he, Doug Ford has taken seats away from liberal strongholds in and around the GTA. Do you think conservative members on the whole across Canada are wise enough, or shall we say strategic enough, in their thinking to realize Patrick Brown has a far better chance against Trudeau in a federal election? Patrick realizes there, there, there's a base that needs to be spoken directly to, and it's new Canadians. And he does it very genuinely and sincerely, puts himself out there as the person who, who hears them, who's a voice for them, who recognizes them. Not to the discredit of long-term Canadians, but treats them as equal. Whereas Polyev looks at those fringe elements within his party, the, the, the protesters, the, the, the ones who embrace controversy, sees them as low-hanging fruit. I can pull these people in. Yes, it might sell them party memberships. Or Patrick Brown was, was ousted as provincial party leader in Ontario through what I believe was a manufactured scandal. He was that. lynched. Yeah, and, and he was able to bounce back from that, but it came too late for him to serve his provincial leadership plans. But Polyev has not made any mention of that scandal so far, and he may never, to his credit, uh, if he doesn't, and he shouldn't. But I suspect that it's a card he's holding back and hoping he never has to play. I think but he if, did play it. Yeah. But I'll, I'll be, I'll be, I, I will tell yeah, you, I think I he did play it, it a couple of weeks ago, and I don't think it resonated well. No. But, I mean, if Patrick breaks out in the final stretch, as he did during his provincial run-up uh, for the leadership a few years ago, do you think that Polyev might resort to the same dirty trick tactics as we saw from some provincial PC players who feared Patrick Brown's more central-leaning style of politics. That's a sign of weakness if you go there, and I wouldn't put it past any of them. Right now where we're at is the opportunity to bring in new members into your base closed on June 3rd. 
So you have to hope and count on the people that you brought in as new members over the last couple weeks campaign, several weeks campaign, that 100% of them will show up when it counts in yeah. September. Because selling the membership is one thing. You're, mm. in, you're theoretically in control of the membership you sold. You theoretically have that person sort of penciled in as a supporter of yours. And you need that person to show up in September mm. to cast their ballot. So the question will be, how many people said, sure, take my 10 bucks and I'll sign a form who will or will not show up in September when it counts. Yeah. The winner of this leadership will be the one who gets their people to actually show up and cast their ballot in mm -hmm. September and convert the existing party membership. Well, because membership sales closed the other day, so now perhaps the style of campaigning has to change from this point forward. It's not just about uh, saying anything and everything to get you to buy that membership this now is no different to a voter this is no different than the ontario election just that we just went through with a whole bunch of people with signs on their front lawn and a whole bunch of people the rallying cries and rallying troops and then we have the lowest voter turnout yeah. in history the game is not over the far right let's face it the far right or the far left is never going to get elected uh, in this country we are a centrist society for the most part i mean the those who are on the far right or the far left they they think when they lose out, uh, the deck is somehow stacked against them, like in a deliberate conspiracy type thing. It's nonsense, but it's just there's safety elements that are, are, are real or even subconscious within the Canadian society that are, are, would never allow you know, a Maxine Bernier to be our prime minister of this country. Or, I'm sorry to say, our apology. Jagmeet Singh has to decide that he's not afraid to lose his seat and his status mm -hmm. and therefore unhitch himself from the coalition that he, won't he, do that, that he has guaranteed until, what is it, 2025, four? Yeah. So you're putting a lot of faith in something when we're still, you know, three and a half years away from the next election. Mm -hmm. A lot can happen, as we know, in three and a half years. So the only way out of that is for Jagmeet Singh to allow for a confidence vote on the prime minister. Yeah. And the only and way he can do that is what the prime minister unchecked. was looking to avoid. Yeah. And Jagmeet Singh has proven that he'd like to keep his job. Yeah. Well, that's not necessarily to produce, but so just to keep basically his job. both of those notions have nothing to do with the health and strength and future of our country. They are all blatantly personal, ambitious, you know, uh, plans by both Jagmeet Singh and Justin Trudeau. Yeah, so Pierre Polyever doesn't care about getting elected. He cares about uh, catering to his base and, and, and his... R riding out his... Interesting ideologies. Yeah. And Jagmeet Singh is a guy who doesn't care about actually uh, the care about the health and well-being of the country. He cares about keeping his seat. And, and on that note, I think we should wrap this one up. I think we up. should, yeah. Um, it's but, been a good uh, talk. All, always a pleasure. Uh, I'm, sure we've, uh, I'm sure we've gotten under the skin of a few people. Oh, and I there are people so. who are cringing. That, that's the whole goal. I hope so. Absolutely. And I hope we haven't revealed our colors here in, uh, in this discussion here. Colors. Right, in any way, yeah. I'm brown and you're Caucasian. Well, there you go. And all on right. that note, it's been fun. Thanks, Mike. Take care. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes,